Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, how was your day today? Oh, I can't complain. No, I don't it was think crazy, it was really hectic, anyway. rough, but I made it through. <laughs> yeah, I don't think complaining will help you out any anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know how what? about you? Yeah, hey, I had a good day. But you know what? I, I woke up this morning and I was thinking, who can treat me better than Jesus? You know, a lot of times we look back over our lives and we we look at situations and we think, you know what? We have to pay close attention to our enemies. But, you know, we have to also pay attention to those that are around us, too. We look for people to lift us up when we're down and... A lot of times, they're going through something themselves. You know, have you ever been in a situation, Brian, where it just seems like no matter what people did, it it just wasn't enough for you? You it know, didn't, it I, didn't I give think you the satisfaction. Been in that. What's that? I think everybody's been in that type of situation where, yeah. you know, no matter what, you know, like you said, no matter what people did, it still wasn't enough. But you know, I'm just glad that Jesus is more than enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you think, you look at our parents and you say, you know what, my mom and dad, they'll do anything for me. But it's some things that they can't do. It's a void there that nobody can feel but him. Right. And a lot of times we look for for that void, to something to fill that void. We look in the liquor bottle. We go to the nightclubs. We start dating all these different women and different men. And we start looking for that joy but that void is still there. If you notice, you you know, you watch television, you look at the wealthy people, you think they have everything. But that void is still there. They're still looking for something. Yeah, oh. yeah. You know, even when, when, you know, you have some people that look for that, you know, to try to fill that void with drugs. Yeah. You know, like you said before, you know, with, with men or women. You know, they're, they're looking for something to fill that emptiness. And even though they might have everything tangible, you know, there's still something that's missing in their life. And they can't figure out what it is. That's right. And it's not until they find Jesus Christ that, you know, they'll figure it out real soon that he can fill any void. But you, you know, know what? He can fulfill and fill everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, so many people are suffering. So many people are hurting so many people have been wronged in their lives and for some reason they can't let that go you know they can go to the counselors they can go through all the therapy but for some reason they can't let those past hurts go you know and, and it's so sad because the being able to forgive is a powerful powerful tool that we have but because of our pain and because we're holding on to that pain we won't let it go. Yeah. We won't let it go. And in in it's really sad. It's really sad that we can you know, that we can't begin to just break free and, you know, shake those things off. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like you you hear the old saying, shake the devil off. Mhm. You know, when when they're saying that, it's not just that you've physically shaking the devil off like he on your back or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's more like you have to shake off those negative energies. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to shake off that negativity that, you know, when that person comes up to you and says, you can't do this, mm-hmm. you know, or that somebody comes up and tells you you're nobody, you're nothing. You have to be able to just shake that off. And, you know, another thing, too, Brian, when you're going after your dreams and your goals and you have so many people saying, who are you to do what you're trying to do? You can't do this. You just you can't do it. What gives you the right to try to do something like this? Nobody in this neighborhood has ever been able to do what you're doing. Right. And that's so sad. You know, I mean, and I think that everybody's, you know, been a victim of saying that or even doing that at some point. I know that when I was young, I, I said some people, oh, you'll never be able to do that. But it was only because that's what I heard other people saying and, mm-hmm. and telling people. Mm-hmm. And people have definitely told me that. 
Oh, you you can't go to college. Nobody in your family went to college, you know. Mm-hmm. Or you can't do that. Or what make what makes you think you can do that? Mm. You know. And I always used to tell them I can do anything I want to do if I put my mind to it. That's right. That's right. And you know, it's that negative environment that killing and holding up dreams. So many times we 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 start out, you know, we put our dreams on paper. But the thing that stops us is is not the world out there. Of course, it's not going to be easy to do the things that you want to do. But once you make up in your mind that this is what I'm going to do, and you don't listen to the naysayers. But you know what, Brian? A lot of times we need those haters. Yeah. Sometimes we need them <laughs> because they're telling us the opposite of what God has already told us that we can do. And at some point what we do is when the door is closed in our face, you know, I want to write a book, but you don't know what to write the book about. You don't know how to get the book published. See, all these things start coming into play, and people start telling you that you don't know how to do it. God said, just trust me, and I'll guide your steps. All we need to do is write the book. Get started on writing it and trust that God will give us the people. The people will come into place that we can get this book or get this dream or burst this thing out so that we can live the life that we dream about living. Yeah. You know, I I talk to people a lot, you know, not just on the phone or face-to-face, but, you know, a lot through the Internet. And, um, you know, a lot of people come to me and they, they tell me about, you know, sometimes very personal and intimate situations that they're going through in their life. You know, and the one thing that I always tell them is that they have to hold on. You know, and they got to find a way to fill that void. And, you know, the one thing that I know for myself is that can nobody do me like Jesus? (laughs) With that being said, Brian, that's the title for tonight, Can't Nobody. We have a great woman of God, I mean a mighty, mighty woman of God as our special guest tonight. She's an author and motivational speaker. And, Brian, she kind of motivated me the other night when I told her the topic of what we're talking about tonight. She was ready to start right then. (laughs) (laughs) Our special guest tonight is Vanessa Davis Griggs. Ms. Griggs, are you there? Oh, I'm here, and I'm just so excited. I tell you what, you guys have blessed me so far with the introduction. I was sitting here, you know, the other day I told you when we were talking, and I told you, hold my mule because I can shout right now. (laughs) I've been sitting here just trying to hold my peace because you guys know you are speaking the word right now. Yes, you know. You know what, Ms. Griggs, when you when you started writing your book, you not only write books, you also travel around the country speaking to people and, you know, young people. You know what, when when I speak, I, I go around and I speak as well, but when I go out and I speak to people, it's that look when you're speaking to someone and you make that connection. And, you know, when you're looking eye to eye and you're saying something to them, and whatever it is that you're saying, it makes them move. Have yes. you ever you ever experienced that? Yes, and you know when you say young people, let me tell you something. I speak to young people, I speak to older people, I speak to black people, white people, it doesn't matter. I speak to people who have dreams. I have people who may have had dreams and had somebody to tell you, like you just said, that you can't do it or you can't accomplish it. And I tell people you're never too old to go after your dream. You're never too young to start thinking that you can do some things. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many people that you think you don't know that might not be able to put you in the place. As long as you know Jesus, Mm -hmm. you can get whatever it is that you need to do, and he'll take you places that money can't take you. He'll take you places that even knowing somebody can't take you. That's called favor. So, you know, there are so many people out there who said, well, I wish I had did this when I was younger, but now it's too late. It's never too late when it comes to God because he said he is well able. And if anybody don't know if he's able, you can go ask Abraham and Sarah, and they'll tell you just how able God is. He don't care what age you are. He can still do it if he says he's going to do it. That's right. Absolutely. absolutely. And you know what, Ms. Griggs, when you were lying in your bed and you were thinking about writing these books, before they, before you even birthed these books into the world, I know God was giving it to you, Yes. but what made you get up and write it down? I know you had to put it on paper. That's one of the most important things about trying to achieve your goals is when you write things down, that's your target. You know, if you don't write these things down, you, you're just shooting and you're just missing. You don't have anything that you're aiming at. Right. So when right. you were lying in bed, I know it happened at night. 
<laughs> a lot of stuff happened at night, <laughs> and sometimes it's at midnight. Of course, I told somebody, I think my time is 4 o'clock because God has woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning lots of time. In fact, one of the books that I have that's coming out next year called Strongholds was a book that I was laying in bed, minding my own business. God woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he said, I want you to write a book. And he said, I want you to call it Strongholds. And he told me how he wanted me to write it and told me how it should be formatted. So a lot of times, like you said, God will speak to us, and he'll tell us, and it may be late at night when he's doing it, but the thing about it is it doesn't matter whether it's day or night. When he tells you to do something, you need to do it. Right. In the case with me, I grew up, and when I was in um, school, and even elementary school, I used to, and like, um, I loved writing plays. So I would write plays, and, um, and I would even produce and direct them and do things like that. Well, after I um, came out of school and everything, I started working for uh, Bell South, which is a telecommunication company, mm-hmm. and I worked for them for 18 years. And it was funny because I was still kind of, you know, playing around with the writing part. But like you said, you run into people sometimes who may say things you can't do, but there are also things that we don't know are available to us. And I would know about people who wrote books, but it wasn't as as it is now. Now every time you turn around, somebody has a book or they're putting a book out, whether it's themselves or with a publisher. But it wasn't like that when I was really kind of coming up, and mostly the books weren't, definitely were not Christian-type uh, books. They were dealing with different type subjects. But I remember when I got to where it became such a burning thing within me that I would stay up late in the nighttime working, and then I would get up early in the morning. And seeing some of the things with us is that God will give us something to do, but some of us are too slowful or too lazy to maybe give up some time. We want to sit there and watch television. And I will tell you this, too. I left my job not retired. It wasn't like I got any benefits or any of those things. I left my job by faith. I stepped out on faith because God told me, he said, just like I know how to get you your check at Bell South, he said, I know where you live. I can get you your check there. Mm. But that that does not always apply to everybody. See, everybody can't do what he told me to do. That's why you need a personal relationship with God. Mm. So you can go to him, and he can direct your path on how you should do it. But that's how he gave it to me to do. And I'm going to tell you this. I have been doing this since the end of 96. And then start out on the top where I am now. Sometimes you have to start at a place where you work your way on up. But the truth about it is is that I've been doing this since the end of 96. I have not missed a meal. They haven't put me out of my house. And, in fact, in a lot of ways I'm doing a lot better than I ever was when I was with Bell South because my source is not my job. My source is my Father in heaven. Yeah, can't yes, nobody yes. do you like him. Can't huh? nobody do me like Jesus. And like I said, don't get me started when you start talking about can't nobody. Because you're like you said, as much as my mother loves me and as much as my father loves me, don't nobody do me like the way Jesus do. Take care of me the way Jesus do. Can't nobody do us like Jesus. And, you know, can I say this if you yes, don't mind? Ahead. You know, we talk about sometimes when we say you were talking about um, how sometimes when people may be looking for love or they're looking for somebody to make them feel better or maybe uh, building up their self-esteem. And I thought about how there are so many people who are looking for somebody to love them, whether it's your parents didn't love you right or whether they didn't do just like you thought they should have or whether you're looking for some man or some woman to, you know, feel that part of you that you say will make you complete. But what we need to realize is that if nobody ever tells you that they love you, if nobody never does anything to you to show you how much they love you, you need to know that Jesus loved you so much, God loved you so much, that he sent Jesus, who was in heaven, doing okay. Because from what I hear, heaven is a pretty nice place up there. He left heaven. He came down to earth. And you know down here sometimes we can be kind of mean and cruel to folks, and things don't always work so well. But he left the riches of heaven to come down to earth. And when he got down here, he didn't just come down here to be born and to die. He came down here to show us how to walk, to show us how to talk. When you talk about writing your vision and making it plain, uh, Jesus showed us how, you know, you, you set that path that you're planning to do. He showed us how to walk. He showed us how to talk so that we know how to speak those things that be not as though they were. He told us how to do the things that we can accomplish those things that he has given us to do. But not only did he do that out of the love that he had for us, he got on the cross 
And in the things that I am do, as far as the sins that I've done, the sins that you've done, the sins that any of the people who are listening right now have done, he got on that cross and he paid the price for our sins. Now, you're talking about some love. That's some love right there. But then when they pierced him in the side and they put the crowns and they did all those things, nailed him to the cross, and they took him down on the cross, he went to hell in our place. We were the ones who supposed to have been going there, but he went to hell in our place. And if the story had ended there, then it would be a whole different type story. But the truth about it is is that it didn't end there because so many people have died and been buried, but didn't nobody else do what Jesus did. What Jesus did was God raised him from the dead. And when he raised from the dead and you saying, does anybody love me? Does anybody really care about me? When Jesus was hanging on that cross, he stretched his arms wide, and he hung his head and he died. And you said, how much do you love me, Jesus? He said, I love you this much. And it's stretched out on the cross to show you how much he loved you. But then he rose, and when he rose, that's what made the difference. He rose with all power in his hand. And you know what's so wonderful? When you talk about can't nobody do me like Jesus, not only did he rise with the power, but he gave us the power. Yes, yes, he did. You know what? Man. We try. Uh, uh, look, I feel like we need to take up offering now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you know what, Ms. Griggs? You know, a lot of times we try to please man first and we place God second. Amen. Mm. You know, if we would just learn to put man aside, place our feelings aside and think, you know, God, what can I do that will make you proud of me? Mm-hmm. Lord, teach me how to love you. See, we don't even know how to love him. That's right. If we ask him, Lord, teach me how to love you. Because once you you satisfy God, and the only way that you can satisfy him is with faith. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have it, you can't satisfy him. And that's something that a lot of times we have to have to deal with. You know, we're placed in a position where we have to trust him, but we'll pick up the phone and call our cousin. That's right. We'll pick up the phone and call our girlfriends or, or one of our boys and say, listen, man, I'm going through this and that. They don't have a clue how to <laughs> walk you through that. But hey, they have their own first. problems. Yeah, and then we go to them, and then the last thing that we say, I've tried everything I can. I mm. can't do nothing now but pray. Mm-mm-mm. I can't do nothing now but pray. And have you know, you, the, the yeah. Bible says seek ye first. That's where we ought to go first. And, that, and that's my point. That's what I was trying to get to is why do you think so many people or like that? Do you think they just didn't? Uh, they didn't grow up in the church, or you think they just didn't take heed to what they were taught? Because mm-hmm. it just seems like it just seems like the body of Christ is just going through that right now. Well, you know, Greg, a lot of people did grow up in the church, and they still do the same thing. See, sometimes what I wonder is, do we really believe what God say when He say it? Mm-hmm. A lot of us have lip lip service, but when it comes, I always say, when the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. that's when you can really tell. See, a lot of folks say, I have faith. You can talk that all you want, but and then we wonder sometimes, why do we go through different things? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you why we go through some things. The reason that we go through some things is because when God is trying to make sure that He's exercising that our straight our faith is getting stronger. If we say we have faith and nothing ever comes for us to even have it tested, for, uh, and when I say tested, that means let's see just how much you need to know that you have it there. You need to know that it's in operation. And so when you're doing certain things, it's just like if I'm telling you I can lift a certain amount of weight. Until I really start lifting that weight, I don't know that I really can lift it. I can tell you all I want that I can lift 100 pounds. But you sit 100 pounds before me, you say, okay, pick that up. Now that's when the rubber meets the road. Can I really pick it up? We say we have faith, but then a lot of us don't. The people that have grown up in church sometimes, we may have um, gone to God and we've asked for something, and because, especially lately, we become such a microwave society. Mm. We want whatever we ask for. We want it right now. I always tell people, I say it's funny because even with the microwave group, and you know how it was a long time ago. I guess you guys know because I may be a lot older than you are. But there was a time where you didn't have microwaves and all we had was oven. And when you wanted to reheat your food, it wasn't that pop it in and let's press some buttons and then in a little while it's already ready. It may have been you had to uh, warm up the stove or you had to turn on the stove in order to cook it. But uh, even with the microwave group, where now where it may have taken me maybe 20 or 30 minutes to fix a meal, I can pop it in, and in five minutes it's getting ready. But what I love or what I find interesting about the microwave group, which is we want it right now and it's still not fast enough, they will sit there and look at the microwave 
And as it's counting down and they see it say five, four, three, they can't even wait to one before they pull the door over. <laughs> and that's what's happening with a lot of us is we go to God and we ask for something. We act like he our, he's our sugar daddy. I come to you and all I'm doing is saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. And then I'm looking for him to do it right then. But God is saying to us sometimes, you're not ready for it right now. That's right. Because if he gave us some things that we asked for, some of us would mess it up so bad, we would be, next thing you know, we back there to him again, begging and pleading because we messed up what he gave us. So he will a lot of times saying, I know you're asking me for this, and I know you want this, and I know you think you're ready, but I am God. See, I'm Alpha and Omega, which means I've seen the end already. I already know what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So you need to wait on me. And see, when we get to that revelation that he is still God and that we don't get to just, he's not this genie out of a bottle, we rub it and say, okay, I get three wishes and you're supposed to say my wish is your command, and it happens right then. We have to learn to wait on the Lord because he knows, and when he's saying, I'm going to let you have this at this point, then we know we're ready. But in the case with me, I'm like, there are so many things that God has told me that he has promised me. And when many of us, if God doesn't give it to us quickly, then we start speaking negatively. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a matter of trying to make sure when you say, I believe something, do you really believe it, or are you just going with the flavor of the month right now? Mm. Right. You, do you think it's more because people aren't being obedient? I think that some, some people are not being obedient, but I think a lot of people are obedient. The problem is... They don't realize that a, a year, a thousand years is like a second to God. I mean, they really, and not that we want to wait a thousand years to get it. When he tells us to do something, we automatically feel like because I've done it and I've heard from him that it's going to happen right then. And like I said, you don't know. And let me tell you something else that I have found. Because God operates in, especially when we're here on earth, there are things that are that they are, this is the way the earth operates, which is why Jesus had to come the way he did. There are legal things when you look at it as far as how God set things in motion. What we don't understand is God may have somebody else who's praying to them and asking him for something, and God is telling them, you do this and I will give you what you're asking for. But they don't move and do, and then what you're asking for is dependent on them. So a lot of times it may be God has spoken to a person to do a particular thing. Because, see, we still do things for each other down here by the direction of God. Mm -hmm. And he may even come back to them and give them another chance and say, I'm telling you to do this because, see, you're asking me for this, but I need you to move here in order for me to give you what you're asking for. But then your blessing may be tied into them moving where he's telling them to move. And then they may not ever do what he told them. That's a disobedient person right there. He may at that point say, you know what, I gave you an opportunity to obey me, but now I'm going to have to find somebody else because he's still planning on blessing. Let's just say the two of you. He may have a blessing that you guys are asking for. He's still going to make that come to fruition. But that person that he to- moved on their heart, when he said, when that person comes to you and they ask you for something, I want you to do it, and you say, no, I'm not giving them that. I'm not doing that. Then God say, I'm going to give you the opportunity, but if you don't, I'm going to move on to somebody else. Then he has to go speak to that person. And when he speaks to that person, they may move. And then you were sitting there wondering, well, wonder why it's taking so long for God to answer. And let me say one other thing that sometimes is the case. And we can find that in the book of Daniel in chapter 10. There was a time when Daniel had prayed and he had confessed and believed God's word, and he was standing on God's word. See, sometimes we be standing on God's word, and when it doesn't happen, we start speaking wrong, which stops everything from happening. But as long as you're still speaking, I'm speaking the word of God, I believe in you. In the case with Daniel, he had fasted and prayed and he was waiting on the answer. It didn't come, but Daniel didn't start speaking negative stuff. Daniel continued to speak the word. And what happened was when the angel finally came, the angel relayed to Daniel, well, I was on my way, but the prince of Persia stopped me. And I was battling with him until the archangel Michael came, and he started fighting with him. So I was able, and he said, I came for the word. Hmm. And see, and that's what we don't understand is sometimes the, whatever you've asked for, God has already released it, but then Satan, and he knows he can't really stop anything from happening, but he tried to delay it. And the reason he tries to delay it 
is because he knows that the power we have, life and death, is in the power of the tongue. That's right. And if he can start playing with your mind and tell you maybe God didn't mean for you to have that, maybe God is not going to answer your prayer. He wants to get your mouth to running, get you to talking, so that when you're talking now, saying these things are, are contrary to what God's word is saying, now you have stopped the process. Because God will only honor his word. When you start saying, well, maybe God doesn't intend for me to have it, you stop everything. So Satan is trying to delay it because he wants you to talk wrong. So that's why I tell people, if you can't say what God is saying, shut your mouth. That's right. I know that's probably like, ooh, that's, that's kind of hard, Vanessa. But sometimes you need to close your mouth. After I've said what God say, I don't care what it look like because you know what? I walk by faith and not by sight. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it doesn't look like anybody supporting me. I don't care if anybody's not uh, buying into my dream. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking in the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, I've already won. That's right. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. And we have with us tonight author and motivational speaker Vanessa Davis Griggs. And, Ms. Griggs, you know, we've been having a Holy Ghost time tonight. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm ready to – Greg knows me. So he knows I'll get up, I'll mute my phone, and I'll just go to shout, and I'll dance. And a lot of times I get up and just spin around in my chair because I just love the Lord like that. Amen. And you know and, he loves to see that kind of praise. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, wanna, I don't want to get off the word, but I want to ask you about your book. Oh, we won't be getting off the word if you ask me about my book. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean it like that. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I just, I was just saying, that, um, anybody who has probably read my book, and if they haven't, what they're going to find out is that the word runs all through my book. In fact, I have so many people who tell me that when they read my book, they actually pull out the Bible, and it takes them into a deeper study with the Lord. So like I said, so it's all going hand in hand. So one thing that I am very proud about is the fact that God has told me to do. He told me how he wanted me to do it. He didn't tell me to do it the way everybody else may be doing it. And somebody may say, well, oh, she got so much scripture in there. And, oh, there's a sermon in there. But that's what God gave me to do. And he gave it because, like I said, it's still running with the word of God. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the first book. It's funny when people ask me about the first because a lot of what's the first to some people is not really the first. But I'm going to do it probably in the best order of the way it should be done. I had a book called Promises Beyond Jordan, which really was not my first book. It really was the third book that I wrote. I wrote a book that was the first book called Destiny Unlimited. And that was really about taking the limits off of what God would do and what you can have. And it really was about what are the keys to success and making things happen. And, of course, that book right now is out of print, so it's not anything that anybody could get. But that was the first book that I did. And then I wrote a book called The Rose of Jericho. And on these two books, I actually had my own publishing company, and I put them out myself. My company was called Free to Soar, which is like flying. If you can think of an eagle who soars, it was Free to Soar. And I put that book out. Well, I had a third book called Promises Beyond Jordan. And when I put that book out up under my company, somewhere along the line, God moved on an editor's heart who happened to read the book. And she was with BET Books um, up under the inspirational division called New Spirit. She called my publishing company. And see, I hope this will be a blessing to somebody else out there who's like, I want to do something, but because people won't help you do it, then you sit back and act like there's no excuse for you not to move. But see, when God told me, it's like if nobody else will do it, you do it yourself. You start making a move, and I'm going to move on some people for them to move. And in the case with this editor, she called my publishing company, which happened to be me. I told people I was the president and I was the janitor. So, you know, and that day the secretary answered the phone, so that was all me. But I, I answered the phone and took the call, and she said she wanted to acquire the rights to Promises Beyond Jordan. And, in fact, I had been praying because I had a second book that I wanted to do that was in line with that book called Wings of Grace. And I knew it was going to be a lot to that book and that it was going to take me some real time to put into it. And I remember having uh, God told me to do a fast, and I did a fast, not because I was trying to get a publisher, but because sometimes he just tells me to do a fast. And I always tell people, it's like whenever God is telling me to do something, I do it. Because I don't know what he's up to. But I know that whatever he's up to, it's going to be good. 
So I did a fast, and after I finished that fast, I said, God, I really want a publisher for Wings of Grace. I really don't want to publish that one myself. And uh, I was in the process of uh, about to write a query letter, which is a letter that you would send out to a publisher to try to tell them about your book. The very next day after I wrote the letter and just hand-wrote the letter, I got a call from the lady at BET, and she said not only did she want to acquire the right to Promises Beyond Jordan, but she said, I want to make a two-book deal with you. So I got a two-book deal which took care of that book I had been asking God about as far as getting a publisher. Um, Promises Beyond Jordan is really about a minister um, who you find out there's some things kind of going on with him. Um, he's about to get married, and so you're dealing with um, that part about even when some people would jump up and get married, and is that really God telling you to do it, or is it you? And then sometimes God is trying to keep us from hurting ourselves, and we still just want to go on and do what we're going to do anyway. <laughs> but you have um, Promises Beyond Jordan, and let me say this too. One of the things that motivated me to write the way that I write is because I really did want people to see you have a lot of time where people act like they're not any sometimes good men and especially good black men and they would act like also all the preachers all preachers are corrupt according to some people so they have these negative attitudes and I said I wanted to write a book that showed things in a different way and I really wanted to have a book that showed a father who really loved his children and loved his family and, you know, show that there is a different side, because I have seen that side. My father is still living. He's been married to my mother. They will be married 50 years next year. Mm. So, you know, so so it's like, you know, I saw this, and I wanted to portray that what it really looked like. And it was like I told somebody. I said, when people keep saying, well, that's not realistic, because most of these men really aren't this and they're not that. And I said, you know what, if that really is the truth and if that really was the case, then we should be writing what it should look like just so that our boys and our young men, when they're growing up, they can see an example of this is what a father should look like. If you didn't have one, this is what you should be. And give us a better example as opposed to saying, I'm going to write reality. This is just what's happening, and so all I want to show is that. I'm not knocking that, but I'm just saying that sometimes we need to be teachers and showing the way so that we can make things better for the generation that's coming up behind us. Absolutely. So, so anyway, so I, I did. I wrote Promises Beyond Jordan and I wrote Wings of Grace. And then after that, I ended up signing a three-book deal with Kensington. And they released my first book with them. It's a trilogy. It's called Blessed Trinity. And Blessed Trinity came out in May. It's dealing with some things that even touch on bipolar disorder. Um, there are some other um, very... Uh, great scenarios happening, but um, it has a little bit about mega churches as far as the behind the scenes with that. Um, but mine is always about something that's going to encourage and inspire the people. And like I had previously kind of mentioned earlier, I have a second book that's coming out next year. Hopefully, you guys will have me on to kind of talk about it. But it's called Stronghold. Oh yes, yes. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. We'll have you on for that one. Yes, you know, we we actually did a show about breaking strongholds. Mm-hmm. And so when you told us earlier about, you know, the book, I th- that's the first thing I thought about. I was like, wow, she could have been on that show easily. Oh, yeah. You know, talking about, you know, breaking those strongholds that are in your life. Right. You know, when I heard the, the book Promises Beyond Jordan, mm. it made me think, it, it really took me back, and I haven't read the book, but it took me back to thinking about how good God was to the Israelites. Amen. Even in all their mess they were caused. Amen. You know, and and when I saw promises beyond Jordan, mm-hmm. I started thinking about the promises that God made to us, and I was like, wow. Amen. And, you know, that's what Promises Beyond Jordan kind of touches on. I tell people, if you read my books, what you'll find is that my titles always have double meanings. And when you're reading Promises Beyond Jordan, one of the messages that you did get from that book is that at one point I was looking at crossing Jordan. But, you know, we can make it to the Jordan and we can cross Jordan. But what we really need to know is crossing the Jordan is good. But God has promises for for us that go beyond Jordan. And that's the thing. A lot of us just cross Jordan and we feel like, okay, I'm saved. That's all it is to it. And I'm there and I'm fine. Well, that's great. You cross Jordan in that way if you want to say that. But God has more for you than that. And he's saying, why are you going to stop right there when I have more that I want you to have? And when you guys, your show is called Abundance 
solutions hour when just hearing that word abundance, <laughs> you know, that's a powerful word. And in fact, in, in my at our church, I um, one time heard a word from God, and He told me He said, "I want you to tell the people to yell out abundance." He said, "Tell them to call abundance." And it wasn't like we supposed to be shy doing it. He said, it's just like if you have a child and your child is out there and you want your child to come to you, you holler for that child and you say, you expect them to come. That's how he said he wanted us to call abundance. And so when we're talking about promises beyond joy and we're talking about abundance, what we have to realize is that God is saying, I gave you power. Why aren't you using it? See, we don't realize that we are being examples and people are looking at our lives and we're running around sometimes acting like we just barely making it, and we try to tell people you need to come and be saved and you need to hear about my Jesus, and they're looking at us saying, why do I want to know him if he's not doing anything for you? And see, we need to realize that when people are looking at us, and it's not about stuff, but it's like we ought to have a peace that, not just a peace, but a peace that surpasses all understanding. People want to see that peace in us because they want to know, why is it when all this stuff is happening in your life, why is it when trouble seems to be coming, you don't seem to be moved? Why is it that you seem like you all, you just calm and you say, you know what, when Jesus is on board, you can be calm. You don't have to worry about it. There is a peace because even if there's not a peace going on, Jesus will step out and he'll call peace. And we need to realize that we are living in a world where people are looking for, they're looking for what we ought to have. And we ought to be showing the world. I have a love. It's like, how do you love that person when they did you wrong? How can you, you know, y'all were talking about haters. I wrote down the word haters because I said, oh, I need to remember that part, that what I was thinking at that time. When we talk about our haters, we have to realize those people that are hating on us, they're not hating on us because of who they are. They're hating on us because a lot of times Satan has tried to infiltrate them. And sometimes he'll do it with our own family members because he's trying to get to us. And like you guys said, the people that sometimes hate, they're looking at and saying, or, or haters as we call them, they're looking and saying, you're doing something that I'm too scared to do. That's right. And you're going to make me look bad if you succeed. So if I can somehow know to stop you, then maybe you won't raise the bar. And that's what we need to do. We need to be raising the bar. We need to say, let let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about what Jesus can do. Jesus said that what he did, greater things we're going to be able to do. When are we going to do these greater things? What are we waiting on? And that's what we need to be looking at as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We need to be saying, if you're a follower, that's supposed to mean that whatever he did, you ought to be able to do too which means that I should be able to, and I say should because a lot of us struggle in this area, when somebody is piercing me in the side and somebody is nailing me to the cross, I should be able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The haters, I should be saying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because what they don't realize is that every time they're doing something to me, all they're doing is really um, God is like I'm lifting up a standard. And when he said lifting up a standard, we ought to be a standard. So as he's lifting up the standard, we ought to be rising. We said water seeks its own level. We should be rising up higher. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Because, see, you don't realize that vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is the Lord. And, you know, I heard somebody say when they were talking about unforgiveness or when we want to get people back and we're so mad at them because of what they've done, they say that when we're either harboring unforgiveness or when we're trying to get a person back, they say that what it is is, is like if I'm drinking poison, but I'm sitting there waiting on you to die. Mm. <laughs> that's profound, right there. <laughs> and then the truth about it is, is that we need. To, that's why. That's, that's why we need to let this stuff go. Because why am I going to sit here? I'm drinking poison. I'm allowing you to do things to hurt me. I'm allowing you to make me mad. I'm allowing you to, instead of me moving on and being about my father's business, I'm too busy sitting here trying to make sure I keep you in jail because you have uh, committed an offense against me, and I'm going to make you pay. So I'm going to sit here and watch you to make sure you don't get away or get out of this. But what I don't realize is that while you're in jail and I'm sitting there watching you, that means I'm in jail. That's right. So when I'm forgiving you, right now I'm doing this more for me than I am for you. It may look like I'm giving you something. I'm not giving you a pass. But the truth about it is is that whatever you have done to me, I'm not going to continue to help you do things to me 
by partnering with you and being unforgiving about it. Yeah, yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our special guest today is author and motivational speaker, Vanessa Davis Griggs. And if you have a comment or a question for Ms. Griggs, you can contact us at 718-508-9600. That's 718-908, I'm sorry, 508-9600. And at this time, Greg, I'd like to go to a caller. Go ahead. Let's see, caller and from the 703 area code. Caller, are you there? Caller? All right, looks like we lost that caller. All right, let's try the caller from the 972 area code. Caller, are you there? Hello? Yes, I am. Hi, welcome Hello? to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Hi. I wanted to know how we can get in contact with Ms. Griggs. I'd like to ask her a few private questions, but how do we get in contact with you, or how can we get the book? Uh, well, I do have a website, and on my website I have an email address. And, in fact, if somebody is not into a lot of the emails, I also have a um, my uh, post office box number there. But uh, my email, I mean my website is www.vanessadavisgriggs.com. So it's my name and everything. And as far as getting my books, they're pretty much in, in the stores, and if they're not in the bookstores, if they're not, you can ask them to order it for you. Or I know Amazon.com especially still has Blessed Trinity. It just came out. Um, if you go to my website, you'll see there is some information as far as getting the books or ordering the books. So, and the website, again, is VanessaDavisGriggs.com, and that's two Gs, G-R-I-G-G-S.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for calling. All right. Ms. Griggs, you know, I was thinking about you were, when you were talking about how you um, you have your own publishing company. And, you know, I know people who, you know, that want to get published and they don't know the first thing about how to get published. You know, what was what were some of the, you know, the obstacles that you went through, you know, trying to get your, when you were trying to get your book published? Well, one of the things that was very hard when I was uh, trying to get published was Christian fiction wasn't popular, especially within the African-American community. So it wasn't something that anybody was really racing to kind of get out there, although at one point it did get to be quite um, quite a popular um, genre. But for me it was sending things out and sometimes having people to say, um, and, and a lot of people have experienced this, they may say, if you could go in and maybe add this, or something that would make your book so totally different from what you really intended for it to be. So the biggest problem is, is that um, you are sending it to people who have their own ideals at the time or feelings and consider the fact that you may send something to an editor and on that day yours may be about having a happy marriage and that day they may have been really mad with their spouse and I'm like tired of marriage and I don't want to hear nothing about marriage. <laughs> you know, not to say that they're supposed to do that, but you just you still you're still dealing with human people with human emotions. So you may find somebody who may turn you down and it really was a book that they should have published because it did very well. Um a lot of times because publishing is a business and um a lot of people don't look at it that way. But because publishing is a business, a publisher will do what they call a profit and loss type statement. They may go through and say, who would the, who would buy this book? And back then when you were doing Christian fiction, if they felt like, and when I say Christian fiction, it could have been Christian, uh, you know, other type things as well, they may say, we don't know if you would have enough people to sell, uh, to buy the book. So they don't want to put their money, which is a, a substantial cost, they don't want to put their money behind a book that they feel like they can't sell. If a person has a name, and I don't know, uh, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people might not write their own books, but they may have a name, and they'll get a ghostwriter to come in and write the book for them, and that ghostwriter may be a great writer, but the other person has the name that will sell a book just because you know their name. And you may, like I said, be the one who wrote the book that everybody is, you know, craving and just raving about, but then you try to get a book deal, and you can't get one because they're like, who may buy your book? How are we going to promote it? 
So most of it really is about was about trying to get a publisher that would say, at least let me take a chance on you. And like I said, there are lots of books that have been turned down that were great books, and some of these people went out and published them themselves. Most people don't know that John Grisham um, published uh, he started his own company and did his own book to begin with, and, of course, he's a huge seller now. But there are lots of people out there who publish their own books to start with because they couldn't get a publisher. And, yeah, and what's really neat about me right now is because I have a track record, I can get a deal without even having to have written the book. So that makes things a lot better when you get to that point. But if you are a person who's interested in fiction, you will have to write your entire book, if you're an unknown especially, in order to even submit it to them because they want to know that you can write a book because you can start it. A lot of us start things. You know, what they say that the race is not given to the swift nor to the strong, but to him who endures to the end. There are a lot of people who start out fast, they start out strong, but then they quit. And so it is in the publishing world. They want to know, can you really complete a, a complete fiction book. Now, with nonfiction, you can get a deal without having written a book, and it's because there could be a lot of cost, a lot of research that would go into that book, and they would much rather say, yes, we would buy the book than to make you do all of that and then never sell the book. Okay. You know, Ms. Griggs, yes. were you ever denied? Or did, did you send any of your writings off to publishers? Were you ever denied? Oh, I've been denied a lot of times. I've been denied so much that, you know, it, it, it was like um, I called it, you know, sometimes people call it rejection. I used to tell people that I had to get to a place where I was rejected, um, even, you know, first off trying to get a publisher. And I looked at it as, I started looking at it as not being rejected. But I said, what you do is, when people tell you no, and this has to do with being denied, rejected, however you want to put it, when people say no to you, and if they come to you and they say particular reasons why, the smart thing to do is look at what they said, see if there's anything in what they said that you can take out of it. If there's something you can take out of it, fine. But let me tell you this, there are a lot of people who will say things to you just because they want to make you quit. They have no merit to say it. There is nothing to substantiate what they said, and they will just do it just to mess you up. When you get to things where you look and you see what a person said, if whatever they said there is no merit to it at all from what you can see, then I say, and even if you took out a part and the rest of it wasn't anything, take that, throw it down, pack it under your feet, and keep on going. Mm-hmm. And then if you continue to do that, because even with me, when I would get rejection, and, and here's what I do, I laugh because I'm thinking, you know, I know it's going to happen. So to me that just puts you one closer to getting a yes or to having whatever it is you're trying to get. But you take that negative stuff, and instead of you trying to hold on to it or try to figure out what to do, you throw it on the ground. You pack it under your feet. The next thing to come along negative, take it. Pack it under your feet. If you continue to do that, what you're going to find out is at some point you're going to be rolled so high up, and then you're looking down on the situation, or you're looking down on because now you have been elevated up to a place where you can now, I'm above this whole situation. And you're also now in a great position to where when that yes come along, just look how high God has already raised you up. You know they say promotion comes not from the east or from the west nor from the south, but promotion comes from the Lord. That's right. Hmm. So would it be wise for me to say that you failed your way to success? Um. You could say that if you want to, but you know what? I am so funny about words. I am the funniest person, and when I say funny, it's not because, yes, she's a wordsmith. That's what they call sometimes when we write. I'm funny about the words that I release from my mouth because I realize the power that I have. So sometimes you could say I failed my way to success, but like I said, I'll even look at a word and say, do I want to say I failed? No, I just found a way that didn't work. That means I succeeded. (laughs) So when you're looking at it, it wasn't failure. It was I succeeded in finding something that didn't work. Yes. You know, I said that because a lot of times uh, when we try to do things, it don't work. It don't right. work. It don't work. And the human mind will say you're a failure. Right. Society will tell you you're a failure. But actually you're not. Every time you get a rejection, there's something to learn from that. They're actually telling you what you need to do. Right. 
most of the time. Sometimes, yeah, I was going to say, make sure you put that in there, that qualifier, because yeah. that's what I, I was going to say. I know some people that will come up and even some of your closest friends, tell your friends if you want to, oh, I'm writing a book, or oh, I'm starting a business, or oh, we're going to do a talk show. You can't do that. That's right. Who do you think you are? Oh, no, nobody, like you said, nobody in our family has ever done that. Uh, and then some people will say, did you know what color you are? Did you know that you're a woman? Did you know that you don't have any money? It doesn't matter what I have. See, that's, that's when God gets the glory. God gets the glory when you know it wasn't me. So that's why I love to do things. Like, I'll tell you a, a real quick story. I used to, um, before I left Bell South, I started writing, I am a top ten New York Times bestsellers list published author. I would write that over and over and over again, and I would confess it with my mouth. Because, see, a lot of times we can write, but you also need to speak it. Right. So I was confessing that, and one day I was backing out of my garage, and I don't know if I happened to be speaking it at the time, but I heard the Lord say to me, he says, why don't you say you're number one? And I said to God, because, you know, he and I have this relationship, we just talk. You know, very. <laughs> it's not like, oh, thee, thou, God, oh, Father, God, oh, Jehovah. You know, we don't have to do all of that. I can just talk to him just like you and I are talking. And so when he said, why don't you say you're number one? I said to him, well, God, I was trying to give you some room to work with. <laughs> I thought that was cute. God didn't laugh. He apparently didn't think it was cute. So all he said to me after I said that was, why don't you say you're number one? And then when God says something like that, he knows your heart already. He knew the reason why I wasn't saying he was number one. And when I was telling him that I was trying to give you some room to work with, I really was because when you say I'm a top ten, that means between one through ten, God, you pick any of those and you win. We look good. We succeeded. Mm -hmm. Because right now I'm putting this on you. It's not even about what Vanessa is doing. This is about God told me. He told me he would never leave me nor forsake me. He told me he would be with me. So you're sitting there, and at that point you're, you're saying that um, it's not on me. So when I'm saying 10, at least I'm saying between 1 through 10, you should be able to hit one of those. Mm -hmm. But when he says, why don't you say you're number one, then you really want to go and say, God, do you realize that there's only one one? <laughs> Mm -hmm. That means you only have that one. It's not like you have some wiggle room. If you don't do it, we're going to look bad. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of time we try to do. We try to fix God and prop him up because it's like we don't believe he can really do what he said he can do. It's almost like, well, I believe in my God, and my God is a big God, but I have to fix it to where in case he don't, he don't look bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when he said, why don't you say you're number one, from that day forward, this is what Vanessa Davis Griggs says. I am a number one New York Times bestsellers list published author. Now, what I saw, at one point I even went to God and I said, well, God, you know I've been confessing that for a while. And when you look at it, that has not manifested as far as outside of the spirit world. I'm still confessing. I still believe it. But when people look at it, they're saying, you're not that. But he showed me, he said, if you'll start looking at the words all the way from the end to the beginning, there was one time where you was not an author, but now you're an author. There was one time where you weren't published, but now you're published. There was one time when you weren't on anybody's list, but now you're on a list. There was one time where you weren't on a bestseller's list, but now you're on a bestseller's list. So we've been working our way back, and the next thing left now is the New York Times. So I just need to hit the New York Times, and then we'll hit that number one. And then the I am, I love the I am because I am is what we call present tense, not I will be. That's right. It means it's already done. Right now, present tense happening. And this is what God showed me. I was speaking a few weeks ago, and God gave me a revelation that I had never really, I've heard it before, but never heard it the way he gave it to me. And what he had me to say was, when Moses went to God and he said, what is your name? Because, see, to Jewish people, it's important to know what your name is because your name tells something about you and who you are. So when he went to God and he said, um, what's your name? Who should I tell the people sent me? What is your name? God said to him, I am, I am that I am. Now, I always do that, I am that I am, and sometimes I do it in different ways because sometimes people say what he said is I am that I am. 
And then some people say he said, I am that I am. But what you need to realize is that who God said he is is I am. When we're saying things and we say I am, we need to realize that God said his name at that time, tell him who sent me, I am that I am. So we need to be real careful with the fact that when we're using that I am, that that's the word that God gave to Moses. And when we're saying I am, whatever we put behind that, we need to be careful of what we add behind that I am. Mm. So when I say I am a number one New York Times bestseller, they don't have to be careful with that because in the first place, I didn't ask. It was not my my personal desire to be a number one. That was a desire that when Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What people don't sometimes understand is God will put a desire in you to desire something, and then on top of that he'll turn around and give you the desire that he gave you the desire to have for. Wow. Hmm. That is awesome. Say that again. That's awesome. <laughs> he will give you the desire. He'll put the desire in you. And then after he's put the desire in you to want these things that you're thinking, you know, you, some people say, well, you want that. It's like this is not really what I want. God put the desire in me. He gave me the desire to desire it. Mm. And now that the desire is in me, he's such an awesome God that he said, after I put the desire in you for you to want that desire, I'm going to turn around and give you the desire that you are desiring. Mm. I will give you the desires of your heart. It's almost like Lord is saying, I'm going to order your steps. That's and right. And you're going to walk in them. <laughs> That's right. And it's That's for his stuff. glory. That's some good stuff. Yes. But if this is all for his glory. We're here for his glory. That's why we need to spread our wings. We need to step out. We need to stop being so afraid to do things because, you know, we're looking at ourselves. Quit looking at yourself. When it say, can't nobody do me like Jesus, quit looking at yourself and look at Jesus. When when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter said, you know, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Now, technically, we're not supposed to walk on any water. Mm-hmm. But because he said, if that's you, bid me to come, when you have your eyes on Jesus, you can get out of the boat. You can do some things that uncommon and seems impossible to some, but it's possible to God. You get out of the boat and you start walking on water. But here's what we do. A lot of us start doing things and we start looking at ourselves. Ooh, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm accomplishing. And then we start looking at the winds and the waves that start blowing up and they're roaring around us and we start sinking. But one thing about it is we can always, we don't even have to pray a long prayer. When we find we messed up and we find like things aren't going well or we find like people have dug a ditch to try to trap us, all we have to say is what Peter said, Lord, Save me. <laughs> Lord, save me. <laughs> Not alone, prayer. Lord, save me. <laughs> that's it right there. I mean, that's that's probably the easiest and most effective prayer you could pray. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's wow. I, I mean, I'm having a good time tonight. I'm not going to lie. I'm having a great time. But that time is actually falling real short. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, again, we, wow, we've been blessed tonight. Yes, we you know, have. Listeners and callers, I'm going to tell you all now, go and purchase Vanessa Davis Griggs' books. Books. Read them. <laughs> when I said books, I mean go get all the old ones to support this sister because she is doing a mighty thing for the Lord. And don't forget to request her to come to you to speak. Absolutely, absolutely. Ms. Griggs, can you give out your contact information? I know you said it was on your website. Yes. If anybody wants to, um, I don't know, do you want my email address? or? Yeah. Uh, can give them whatever, wherever, however they can get in contact. Okay, you can go to my website, which I said was VanessaDavisGriggs.com, or if you want to write me, you can send it to my post office, post office box, which is P.O. Box 101-328. That's P.O. Box 101-328, Birmingham, Alabama, 35210. If you want to email me, you can also send it to Vanessa at VanessaDavisGriggs.com. You know what, Ms. Griggs, a lot of times we want to start out in things. We want to start out being the greatest at everything that we can be. You know, if you if you go back and you look at Michael Jordan, he, he did not make the basketball team in 
the tenth grade. That's right. You know, you you look back at T D Jakes and you you look at him and you say, Well, you think he started a mega church up front? No. Right. He started out in one of the little stores. Right. If you look back on all of the great people, there's a there is a story to be told about the glory that's there. <laughs> so I say to everybody that's listening right now, you don't have to start to be great. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Amen. And that's something that God is, is, is you know, with, with being impatient. God has said, I know what I'm doing with you. I'm molding you into be, being the person that I created you to be. I just need you to seek me. And I'll give you all the desires of your heart. <laughs> with that being said, we thank you so much, Miss Grace, for coming on the show. Brian, did you have anything else for Ms. Griggs? I'm good. <laughs> well, I would like to say to you guys, I appreciate you so much, and I just pray God's blessing just overtake you. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. With that being said, it is done. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for coming on the Abundant Solution Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. Good night. Amen. Good night.